Welcome back, my friends, to the D-Rate the Hate podcast. I am your host, Wilk of Wilksworld.com, and I am so incredibly grateful that you are taking the time to join me for another powerful DTH episode. Friends, at the D-Rate the Hate podcast, it's all about bettering the world one attitude at a time. See, we did not create the hate, but with your help, we can derate the hate. That all starts with gratitude and personal accountability. We cannot control everything that happens to us in life, but we can control how we react to it. How we act, how we react, no matter what happens to us, how we react to it makes the difference. Friends, there is only one good thing about a bad attitude, and that is that we have the ability as individuals to change it. Here on the DTH Podcast, we strive to bring you great guests and provide tools to do just that. Please be sure to share it with your friends. Subscribe if you haven't done so. Ratings and feedback are always greatly appreciated. And with that, let's get to this week's episode. Friends, I am going to keep this intro very short because I think this conversation is one that I want to get to very quickly. I don't want to waste a lot of time. You know about my work with Dr. Francis Collins in the Braver Angels Truth and Trust Project. What many don't know is that I have also recently developed a friendship with Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. Now, if you're not familiar with Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, you definitely should be. He is a professor of medicine at Stanford University, and he also happens to be one of the authors of the Great Barrington Declaration that came out in late 2020 talking about focused protection. The Great Barrington Declaration showed the world that there was not necessarily consensus where some people claim there was. This conversation with my friend Dr. Jay Bhattacharya is definitely one you do not want to miss. We talk about the Great Barrington Declaration and how that came to be. We talk about the suppression of speech, the smearing of character, and how that leads to more institutional distrust and, and actually how it gives rise to more bad ideas and misinformation. Friends, this conversation with my friend Dr. Jay Bhattacharya is ultimately about humility and free speech and how those are prerequisites for trust in science. So where do we go from here? Listen to this episode and find out and be sure to share it with your friends. Here we go. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, man, thank you for joining me, my friend, on the D-Rate the Hate podcast. We've had a few conversations and and this one will be the first time we recorded one for the DTH podcast. So grateful for you, my friend. How are you? It's so good to, to see you in this context, Adam. We've been having all those fun conversations offline. Uh, to finally get to talk in public together is just a thrill. Yeah, absolutely. The few conversations that we've had so far, Jay, ha- have been very enlightening for me and and very helpful for me in in a number of ways because uh, as, as many people know, number one, I've been I, I've been outspoken uh, against the government's response to the pandemic uh, from the very beginning. I, I think the first time I I wrote something about it and maybe even recorded something about it was early in early in 2020. Uh, amazingly enough, but but I'm a kind of I'm the kind of guy I don't have the kind of bona fide you know credentials and stuff that 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 many people would have, but um so so me talking about it is one thing but but i've been afforded i've been in, put in this incredible position jay to have these great conversations with so many great people on both sides of this topic 
And, uh, you know, I'm truly blessed to actually have that because it helps me navigate my feelings to- towards this thing. It, it helps me to become uh, more knowledgeable about it and, and speak uh, to it in, in a better way. So I've been blessed for that. And, and, and now, uh, now obviously getting to have you on the podcast is, is kind of a brings balance because a lot of people know that I've I've been having these conversations with Dr. Francis Collins, uh, you know, former head of the NIH. So, so thank you, uh, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, for joining me. Uh, now, I guess what I want to get into right away is, like I said, I I I started speaking out against this in early 2020, and then something called the the Great Barrington Declaration popped up in uh in late 2020 so so you know just for me and and for the dth listeners talk to me about how that thing in itself got started in 2020 so uh the the great branch declaration is a a very short document uh, about a page long i wrote with sunetra gupta of oxford university and martin kuldorf then of harvard university uh, on leave now from harvard university but then at harvard university uh they're fantastic scholars uh uh sunetra is a is a great epidemiologist a vaccinologist uh and just has a long track for she's also a novelist and and then martin kuldorf was a biostatistician is a biostatistician and epidemiologist who actually designed the fda uh, the cdc's uh uh, method for, for statistical methods for tracking disease outbreaks and and as well for like uh, for identifying um, uh, sort of unexpected side effects in vaccines. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's you know th- these are these are very senior epidemiologists um, in in uh, in, in academics Stanford Har- and Harvard and I'm from I'm from Stanford they're from Harvard and Oxford. We came together at the invitation of Martin Kuldorf to to uh, a to Great Barrington, Massachusetts. The idea was to discuss whether the lockdowns. This is October 2020. If you put yourself back in that that, that time point, um, the, the 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 spring lockdowns had happened. Uh, looked like to, to great damage to our to kids in the round to, to, to who would have be skipped school for all that spring. Um, the the schools had locked down again in the United States and all over, through much mm-hmm. of the country, especially in blue areas. And um, uh, there were reports of of people in Poor countries essentially impoverished as a, as a consequence of the economic dislocation caused by the lockdown. The UN World Food Program had estimated that 130 million people were thrown into dire food insecurity. This is like April, May 2020, um, as a consequence of the, lo- of the lockdown, the spring mm-hmm. lockdowns. Um, and uh, so, I mean, and, and the lockdowns had clearly failed. The disease, the disease was still here. There were summer waves of the of the disease. And it was very clear, based on my reading of the data, that the disease that that the waves were coming back. That there was we had not actually gotten rid of the the, the disease. And so um, the question is, what would we do in response? It was also clear that, in my view, much of public health had learned nothing from the failure of the spring lockdowns or the damage caused by them, and that the lockdowns are going to come back. And so mm-hmm. when Martin invited me to Great Barrington, Massachusetts, to talk about this with him and Sunetra, I jumped at the chance. So the Great Barrington Declaration came out of that discussion between me, Martin, and Sinetra. And our aim was not the was 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 broader than the scientific community. We wrote it in a language that anyone could understand it. You can go read it online, you can see it. We wanted we wrote it so that we to invite people into a discussion 
about how best to protect vulnerable people from COVID without the lockdowns. Right. And, you know, like the, the other piece of evidence that we that we were responding to was this, this the, the very clear um, evidence in the data that it was really older people that were really at very high risk from severe disease and the younger people were much lower risk. Put those two facts together, you have the Great Barrington Declaration. You say, okay, uh, don't uh, for, for, focus your efforts on vulnerable older people. Try your best as you can to use every tool you have in your toolbox to protect them, focus protection, while at the same time, not disrupting the lives of young people, because that disruption itself causes so much harm and damage. Right. And and focus protection was was really my point right from the very beginning, because, I mean, there were there were people out there talking about that, but not. You know, not a lot. I, I don't know that it was a it was a big mainstream narrative. And then, you know, I, I think uh, it it got kind of uh, it it definitely started to get some more legs throughout the you know the the year twenty twenty. Um, still, not not a lot of mainstream coverage of it, and as you know, and and as you've experienced, you know, probably more than more than the average person can imagine. You know, there was there was a lot of. Uh, suppression uh, of that focused protection idea, and, and that was that was when uh, when it really started. You know, I, I think that's probably when it really started to to get some legs. Was when people saw that there was a concerted effort, whether it be on, on the part of the media or social media outlets or the government uh, or or whoever um, that 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 actually that suppression actually was putting like like putting fuel on the fire right i mean it it uh it, it was one of those things where where there were a lot of people that when they saw that and this is this is where i kind of play devil's advocate for it and this is some something you know i i want kind of your opinion on uh jay is is how would you well, first of all, you know, tell me, uh, tell me what you uh, kind of experienced, you know, with uh, right at the beginning of the suppression part of it, actually, you know, how, how that kind of played out for you personally. But then also, it's kind of a two part thing, because I, I want to know what your thoughts are, because there was some, you know, pretty wacky stuff uh, being put out there. And some some kind of real, you know, when you talk about the five G cell towers and the and the implanting microchips with the you know the coming vaccine and blah blah blah, you know how how do we reconcile those things and, and keep the best information? So I want your opinion on on on. First of all, I want you to talk about you know how the the suppression part of it affected you right right off the. Right out of the gate, when when the the Great Barrington Declaration started coming out, but so, then, uh, oh, oh yeah, I'll, I'll get to all of those. I got it in my head. Um, <laughs> so, so, so first, let me just address the idea of focus protection really quickly, uh, because I think that that principle, had it been applied from the earliest days of the pandemic, we would have avoided some tremendous and obvious errors, right? So you've heard stories, I'm sure that uh, Governor Cuomo sent COVID-infected patients into nursing homes. Yeah. Actually, yeah. that happened not just with Governor Cuomo. It happened in Michigan. It happened in, in Pennsylvania. It happened in Montreal. It actually happened even in Stockholm. 
Right. Um, why did this happen? Like these were not dumb people or evil people. They were well-meaning people put in charge of a very difficult situation, but led by the wrong idea about how to manage the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Their view in the early days of the pandemic that was that the that the, the scarce resource was hospital beds. And we needed to, to have open hospital beds in order to save lives. And so they sent COVID-infected patients out of hospital beds to open them up into nursing homes where all the vulnerable people were. Mm, where some yeah. vulnerable people were. If focus protection had been at the, the key principle that guided behavior in the earliest days of the pandemic, they would never have thought to do that. Yeah, no, that's right. All right. So, yeah, it makes sense. So, I mean, so this that's why I like the idea of focus protection. People say, oh, it's obvious. Well, it wasn't obvious that you can't have multiple guiding principles when you're making decisions. You have to decide strategically what are your objectives. And then then the tactics follow from the strategic objectives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why I think I think the, the idea of focus protection, it you can look back in retrospect and say, Oh, yeah, it was obvious, but it wasn't obvious in October 2020. You could see it from the reaction that we had to the Great Barrington Declaration at the time, that for the the, the um, public health leaders, it wasn't obvious. They reacted mm-hmm. in a very, very negative, many of the public health leaders reacted in a very negative way to uh, us writing the Great Barrington Declaration. For, uh, so like on the positive side, um, tens of thousands of doctors, epidemiologists, and scientists signed on to the Great Barrington Declaration almost immediately after we released it. And now yeah. to date, almost a million people have signed it, uh, you know, regular people, uh, we got translations into 40 different languages. Uh, wow. it, it struck a chord in people all around the world. Mm-hmm. It was tremendously gratifying to see that happen. At the same time, within days of, of the Great Barrington Declaration, I started getting um, hit pieces written about me by uh, by newspapers. You, like the New York Times effectively wrote, wrote a hit piece with Tony Fauci and Francis Collins showing up, accusing me of wanting to let the virus rip. Um, you in, in those newspaper articles, you ha- I had death threats. All uh, like just uh, whenever I'd appear in public, I'd get I'd get hate mail, some some racist hate mail. You know, go back to your home country kind of hate mail. I'd get death threats. I'd get um, and 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 in the background was this essentially this like th- this campaign to to make it seem as if I'm some sort of fringe figure, right? That I shouldn't be right. listened to, right? It was a, it was a demonization campaign. Rather than grapple with the ideas in the Great Branch Declaration, because the Great Branch Declaration it was an invitation to a discussion, right? Because right. you, you talk about focus protection, the question is how best should you do focus protection? And we had a bunch of ideas about that in the in the Great Branch Declaration and in the supporting documents, but really it's a conversation that needs to happen at the local public health level because those people in local public health that know how elderly people in the community live, how vulnerable people, it's going to be a very different answer in Wyoming than, it, it, you know, so, 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 or, 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 or Corvallis, Oregon, or, or than it is going to be in downtown LA where the living circumstances of the Absolutely. elderly are different. So you, and there's no way three fringe epidemiologists can, can decide, can like, can really can design a policy that's going to be right for the entire world. It's, it has to be a conversation for, with all of public health. We were calling for a shift in strategy, and we were met with essentially. I mean, I just I I don't know what to call it other than a propaganda campaign to demonize us and delegitimize us as as if we were some somehow you know to excommunicate us from the from the community of scholars and public health professionals trying to think of the best way to manage the pandemic. 
Right. I, I never wanted to let the virus strip. I wanted to protect vulnerable older people. That's I wanted to protect kids, school kids, and poor people from the harms of the lockdown. That was my goal. Sure. No, and 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 I think that's that's incredibly important. I mean that that was kind of the one of the things that 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 I was saying right off the bat is is you know there's a lot of things and and you know you brought up you know Oregon and Wyoming and things like that. I, I live in the state of Minnesota, and one of the things that that I saw right away, Jay, was the things that were happening in outstate Minnesota, which this is not uncommon for almost everything that applies to the conversation about Minnesota, but the things that were happening in outstate Minnesota uh, did not apply in any way, shape or form uh, or, or were not were not similar. They weren't running parallel to what was happening within Minneapolis, St. Paul. Right. So even a even a guy like me, you know, just a, a blue collar guy from, the you know, outstate Minnesota was right away having conversations with people like why what are what are we even doing here you know my my cafe is is shut down and and i can't serve the people of my community anymore or uh, i i you know i i'm an icu nurse in in up in uh i'm trying to think of where where she was from but uh, like like i'm just gonna throw it out there staples minnesota right Uh, you know how 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 does it make sense that we aren't seeing anybody anymore because of what's going on in Minneapolis, St. Paul, but it was like several months before they even had the first case of COVID in the outstate. So right away, I started putting two and two together, and I'm like, this, like so many other things that happen in this country, the same rules can't apply. We can't apply a one-size-fits-all strategy to this thing that, sure, it was scary, and, and nobody, you know, in many ways, uh, nobody knew what to believe or or how to you know how to how to compartmentalize this with with other you know horrific diseases that have that have you know struck the country over the course of history so but but trying to to do this one size fits all we're just going to shut everybody down and and the government's going to decide I, I i really right away for me it just felt like so much of what was happening was wrong uh, but then uh, again i i I try to empathize with those that are are trying to make these decisions and and you know while I I'm a pretty much a free speech absolutist Jay, I I I don't agree with the suppression of speech at all I still in my mind am still trying to figure out how we deal with and and I know what I've said and I and I'm sticking to what I said but how in your mind do you think about you know the and I don't believe you're or, you know, you or, or Snetcher or, or Kuldorf or anybody are in, are in any way a fringe epidemiologist. But there were some fringe ideas out there that really started causing some some real ugly upheavals online, you know. So so what do you think about that? I mean, with with some of these people, because like I said, I'm a free speech absolutist. I know what I'm going with for an answer, but what is your answer to those? Okay. So I think, I mean, that's a really good question, Adam. And I think it's a very important point because that is the main argument. I think that, that uh, many people uh, uh, during the pandemic would resort to when they were, when they would say, well, look, you have to, you have to like censor speech, right? Because it's so dangerous to allow misinformation uh, you know, completely uninf- uh, you know, un- uninformed, disconnected from the scientific literature f- f- spread. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you know, like you, you brought up five G, 
you know, I, I mean, I, I frankly, I, I can't even like repeat exactly what the theory is because it doesn't, it's, it just seems so nonsensical, right? Right, 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 um, right. So, so a few things about that. So first of all, um, these theories spread more easily in an, in a atmosphere in a, in a, in a, in a, of distrust. Mm-hmm. If you have large fractions of the population disconnected from uh, public health to the point where they don't trust public health authorities, what whatever public health authorities say, they they, they actually believe the opposite. Yep. You're gonna you're gonna have a very difficult time as a public health authority to convince those people uh, that you that that they're that these that these that these theories that are incorrect are actually incorrect. Right. Uh, on the other hand, if you have trusted public health authorities, th- then then for sure it, you'll have a much easier time, right? Like if if uh, like I, you know I, I I trust you, Adam, and you tell me Jay, this is not true. You shouldn't you shouldn't believe this. I'll believe you, even though I can't directly verify because we're friends and you've been trustworthy on so many other things. Right. Um. So I think the key to addressing this kind of misinformation is to build public trust in public health. And I have to say, like I think unfortunately, pu- public trust in public health. Public health did in the United States did almost everything wrong in that book from the earliest days of the pandemic, right? You had public health authorities uh, early in the pandemic, for instance, saying that it was uh, that there that there's no evidence that masking works, and that was actually was true. Like there wasn't any good evidence, no high quality evidence that masking worked early in the pandemic. But then later. These same public health authorities came back and said, "Oh no, we were. I was actually, we were actually, you know, that wasn't. I, I, I was misleading you intentionally, because I wanted to preserve the the the, the uh, masks and other protective equipment for hospitals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And already there, if you have somebody lie to you, you're going to say, oh, well, do I can I believe you the next time? Yeah. What do I what do I, what do I have to believe here? And and do I believe this person? Uh, w- what else were they lying to me about? I, I mean, that was that was something." Uh, that I heard quite often in, in the conversations that I was having was, well, if they're going to lie to me about this, what else are they lying to me about? When's that next shoe going to drop? And, you know, like just the contrast with Swedish public health is just remarkable, right? You had Swedish public health. It's not like they made no mistakes, but when they made mistakes, they owned up to it. So mm-hmm. for instance, I saw uh, Anders Tegnell, the head of Swedish public health, talk to uh, give some sort of address where he openly acknowledged i think in like summer of 2020 the mistakes that had been made in stockholm with the nursing homes there and mm-hmm. he took the blame even though he, he wasn't personally the one that made those decisions right and he right. recognized them as mistakes right and that builds trust right I, I, ironically yep. by by like not appearing to be infallible that humility and honesty builds trust and so then when when you say okay here's this is what we're what we're seeing when I, this is what we believe and here's what we recommend people will trust you and they'll they'll they'll, they'll say okay or you say i oh, look the five, the five, this 5g theory i wish i could tell you exactly what it was i can't just i don't even it. remember the the specifics uh, but, uh, of it but it was it was pretty wild i think there was a couple uh a uh, couple what hollywood types that were ha- had been really out there pushing this thing and it, it started to gain some legs but i i think you're absolutely right i i think i think not none of those kind of uh you know whether it be the 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 microchips and the vaccines or the 5g cell powers or none of that stuff would have gained those legs had had people not already uh started started feeling like they'd been lied to and and, and that that public the public trust at that point had, had already really started to erode 
Yeah. So I think I think that that's the I think that's the primary answer. I'll say this. So as a, as a second point to this, um, the 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 way that uh, the way that public health suppressed uh, suppressed speech was by going after these theories with with you know articles saying like fact check articles or uh, your suppression of 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 online posts, right? So mm-hmm. um, and it was very selective, right? They would go after they would go after like utter utter crackpot theories but then at the same time then they would also uh uh use the same apparatus to go after things that were actually genuinely controversial in the scientific literature right as if they were exactly the same as if they were in the same category of these theories trying trying to yeah trying to what a consensualize or whatever yeah. Uh, yeah yeah tie tie the two together when i mean like I said, I'm not a doctor, but from my understanding of, of science, even going back to, to middle school and high school and things like that is, is there has to be an open and honest debate about all things, right? I mean, until something becomes a uh, a law like gravity, uh, you, you have to uh, you have to be able to at least debate that and show people, hey, hey, we're not. There is we aren't doing things just on, on on a consensus. We're doing things because they they make sense. They work. They work every time, you know, things like that. And that was, that was kind of like the next thing that I was thinking about is tying this all in is is there was this narrative out there by so many in the media and and, and so many politicians and, and 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 those big mouthpieces that were out there on the on the mic every day right saying we have a consensus we are doing the right thing you know how much distrust does that build jay when when you have some of those 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 bigger names saying we have a consensus we know that this is uh, this is the right path to take but then you've got, you know, at, at that point, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand people that had signed the Great Barrington Declaration saying, hey, hey, there, there isn't a consensus. We're trying to speak, but we're not being allowed to. So so talk to me about that consensus thing. And, and where do you think? And I don't I don't want to I don't even know that that's that's how I want to to say this but there was no real consensus no there's i thought i mean that's exactly true there wasn't a consensus um so so first like let me just in uh in response i think um let me just echo what you just said and put it uh the the for science to work there's at at the heart of it a fundamental humility Mm -hmm. right uh the world is a very complicated thing to understand. The, the physical world is a very complicated thing to understand. Our scientific method is powerful, but not so powerful that it automatically gives us the truth. It takes it's a process of of, of experimentation, hi, hypothesizing, uh, finding out you're wrong, changing hypothesis. You're wrong all the time as a scientist, or you're not doing your job. Right, right. Humility is at the heart of the scientific enterprise, and what that and the, and the correlator to that is you need to have many minds working on this again with humility at the sort of at the core of the enterprise where um you know if I, I, there's no genius so smart that they can they can grok all of science immediately especially a new disease that comes out uh, you know it, it, you're just going to need lots and lots of minds some of whom are going to be wrong about some things there's just that's just normal in science um so so humility and free speech 
are fundamental prerequisites for the scientific process to work. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I, I think uh, you know it's it's like uh, I was I was telling you in a, in another conversation that that I'm going through uh, Jonathan Rauch's book, uh, The Constitution of Knowledge. And that's one of the big things, you know, kind of what we've been talking about in this conversation, Jay, is 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 he is talking about, you know, there is no uh, there is no monopoly on knowledge. There is no monopoly on science. There is no monopoly on truth. Uh, it, but but when people try to claim that that maybe they are science and I'm not I'm not quoting Jonathan Rauch's book, I'm just kind of going off of what I've taken away from it. But people try to claim that they are science or 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 people try to claim that they are truth or or, or things like that. They they open up room for uh for that distrust because it like something that I've said so many times on this podcast and, and in other settings is certainty is one of the fastest way to show people that you aren't listening to any other opinions. You know, so kind of like what you're saying right there, you need to have you need to show that humility. You need to to show that willingness that you are going to listen to other ideas. And that's how you're going to get the best and brightest minds together. That is really where you're going to show people, because I know just from my own experience, Jay, that when. When I say something that that triggers somebody or or somebody says something to me before I, I started doing all this work in the depolarization space, you know, one of the fastest ways to to make my ears slam shut would be to to say something that, you know, that that really pissed me off or something that something that I was so certain wasn't true. You know, now all of a sudden I'm just trying to develop my response to what you're going to say instead of truly listening to what you are trying to convey and whatever point that you're trying to get across to me. And I think so many people have fallen into that with this because, because it, 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 it almost immediately it turned into this um, tribal issue, you know, and then people started to, to, to turn it into a political issue. But as you and I were talking about, this really isn't one and and I think a lot of people to their own to their own fault, a lot of people have turned this into a a political issue. And instead of truly listening to somebody that, that's on the opposite side uh, of of the the issue being the, the pandemic and the pandemic response, they see the person that's saying it and they attach that person's political identity to whatever that person is saying and they no longer listen to them. So what do you think of that? Yeah. So uh, so f- first, let's just finish up on the illusion of consensus because you because that's because that's that's really important. Um, uh, like that kind of humility in science uh, automatically means that it's it, that, that, that that on disputed matters there there needs to be a range of voices, and so in particular for scientific leaders, it's very important to permit that space to exist, to not close down the debate prematurely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's that I think that humility has been lacking through much of the pandemic. Um, and that with the idea is that with the idea that somehow it was so dangerous to allow that debate to happen because people might get the wrong idea and not not obey public health. Well, how do you know what the right thing for public health to do is unless you've had that debate? 
especially when there isn't a consensus, don't ever convey that to the public that there is one. Don't falsely claim a consensus that doesn't exist. Right. Um, now, as far as like the partisan nature, it is. It's been heartbreaking to watch. I'll tell you. So I, I don't. Uh, I, I don't have a particularly strong partisan bent myself. I don't actually care. I've never really cared that deeply about about politics. I care a lot about science. I care a lot about economics. I care a lot about epidemiology, and I care a lot about public health. Um, it, throughout my career, I've published papers on a, a whole bunch of topics, um, and I can never predict which political i work in public in 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 health policy so it's going to be it's going to get picked up on political sides but i I personally can never predict which side is going to pick it up you know a paper and i'll be like oh i'm all of a sudden popular with the left or i'm a a paper i'm all of a sudden popular with the right i have no clue in advance because i'm just trying to say as best i can within my limitations here's what the data are saying are the answer to this question here my here's so and and sometimes it's the left that likes and sometimes right up in advance I wouldn't be able to tell you until I've done the data analysis which side I, I fall down on, and I couldn't I don't <laughs> I, and, and it's, it just it's always mystified me the uh, uh, the partisanship on some of these issues uh, on this it, this issue about the lockdowns in particular I have to say I I was very surprised that the left in the United States came down in favor of them. My, yeah. My view of the left before the pandemic uh, in the United States was that they that they were in favor of policies that 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 supported poor people. They were in favor of education of children. They were in favor of 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 uh, of, of free speech. All of these have been subverted during the pandemic. My, my expectations about how the left in the United States would behave have been subverted by that by their their actual behavior during the pandemic. At the same time, it's not. It's far from clear that the lockdowns were were were, were really should have been ad- embraced by. You look at the Swedish left, for instance. The Swedish left did not embrace lockdowns. They were fine and happy with Anders Techno. It was a Swedish right that was pushing for lockdowns. In the UK, it's a it's the Tory government that enacted lockdowns. Well, I think maybe Labour might have done it anyway. Also, um, it's a so and and many of the most prominent anti-lockdown advocates are actually on the left people like Sunetra gupta very famously on the left so uh, you know i just i just it, it's heartbreaking to watch people's conditioned response to uh, opposition to a policy just uh, an invitation to a policy debate to automatically think that it must therefore be conditioned by partisanship um and yeah. of course in the united states i mean you you know this better than me again given what you your project you've been doing we are a very deeply broken nation. We are almost it, incapable of talking to each other honestly and trying to learn from each other if we think that we're you're on the opposite political side. Right. And and that's why I do so much work with the the organization Braver Angels, Jay, is because I do believe polarization is one of the biggest issues of our time. And the fact that we the fact that we the people have uh, allowed uh science to be corrupted by politics is is probably one of the one of the ugliest things that that i i could possibly imagine because uh as you said i mean all the papers that you've written all the things that you've done over your career you know you don't know which side they're going to fall down on it as well you shouldn't because uh, nobody should be when they're when they're doing anything whether they're doing anything for public health or or science or whatever you know politics and, and the political fallout should should never be uh, even a consideration. I mean that that is really not where 
where this thing should should have ever gone and uh, and i and i think quite honestly i mean that's one of the things that we've got to work through with this and that's that's one of the things i want to talk about to kind of round out our uh, our well this this conversation there's gonna be many more don't, don't <laughs> there's gonna be many more and, and there's no way we could cover all of this in, in an hour or whatever we're gonna talk but but you know the thing that i think about the most and the thing that i've talked about with dr francis collins so many times is is how do we how do we the people how do the people of the united states get beyond where we're at today because i know you and i've talked about it in 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 conversations uh dr francis collins and i have talked about it in conversations based on what has happened uh based on uh this pandemic the government's response to the pandemic whatever you want to blame it on it doesn't matter i mean we can't point i, I mean some people can point fingers and, and some people are but but the reality is this the, the situation we're in today, I truly believe the situation that we are in today, if we experience another pandemic tomorrow, the scale of this one or, or something even worse, we are going to be in a worse shape as a country going into the next one if we don't fix what happened during this one. And, and, and that is my big concern because we all know that there will be a next one. I mean, as... I don't I don't care what people think they caused it, where the origin came from, you know, what origin will be the next one, what kind of pandemic it will be, whether it'll be another, um, you know, SARS, uh, you know, kind of thing or or, or whatever. We're going to be in worse shape because of the public distrust that we have. The institutional distrust that we have today will make the next one worse unless we fix it. So, Jay, tell me what what your thoughts are on on how we have to move forward to rebuild that trust in our public health establishment, in, in our institutions. How do we do it from your perspective? Well, OK, so let me tell you the idealistic version of this. And then uh, I have to, to, just to confess, Adam, I've been I've been um, become a little more jaded around this over the last few months as I've as I uh, as I've like seen what's happened in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, and so like the, here's the here's the idealistic version. I, this is the version I was telling people in early 2023 and I've been telling people much of the time. I still in my heart of hearts want this to be true. Right. So when there's a uh, when there's a, a, a patient that dies in a hospital. What you have is a is something called a morbidity to mortality conference, especially when the when the death shouldn't have happened. And people who are involved in the care of the patient, doctors and so on, will get together. And the goal isn't to like point fingers. The goal is to like have an, have an honest conversation about what went wrong. It's called an M and M conference, morbidity and mortality. Mm -hmm. And uh, and the an idea is like if once we've openly discuss this now we can change our procedures and learn the lesson so it doesn't happen to the, any other patient ever again right or or when a plane crashes the ntsb comes out looks at the black box again they're not trying to point fingers they're trying to like figure out what happened so that they can adopt reforms and procedures so that it doesn't happen again mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um that, that we desperately need that for this pandemic. It's very clear, no matter where you come from, that things went very, very badly wrong in our pandemic response. Mm -hmm. It failed. You know, a million or more uh, Americans are dead from 
COVID or from or from uh, uh, probably more from much more from the lockdowns even I'd say um, the, the, like the damage caused in terms of uh, in terms of like the the, the ongoing effects mm-hmm. uh, worldwide the, the the lockdowns I think were more damaging but whatever but the point is that uh, did they, did they work to save lives That's an open question That's a que- I, I have an answer to that but that's my my read of the evidence I'm sure there are people who are reading the evidence differently Let's let's get together and have an honest open discussion on a whole host of things to evaluate our pandemic response. So I wrote this document uh, with some of my uh, friends who are epidemiologists, immunologists, scientists, called the Norfolk Group document. It's a blueprint for a a, a COVID commission, an Mm -hmm. honest look. It's 80 pages of questions uh, asking uh, you know, uh, uh, related to our pandemic response, like, you know, uh, 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 on, on, on vaccines, on, 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 on lockdown harms, on school closures, on ma- on like mass, you name the topic. It, it, we, we should, we should have this honest, open discussion with people, uh, who are, who are qualified on both sides to try to try to say, okay, what went right? What went wrong? Um, that's the, that's the, not, I think that is the beginning of, of gain, regaining trust. Public health authorities, like the CDC, for instance, should openly ask for this, be, be clamoring for this. The National Institute of Health should be clamoring for this. Uh, and, and, and I think if they were to do that, if they were to have an open, honest conversation, that would be the beginning of how to regain trust. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely believe so. That's the... Uh... Uh, oh yeah, no, I, I forgot you had a second part to that. So yeah, no. I'm sorry. I got to tell you the cynical <laughs> side. I have to say because that that is the. That's oh, I want to hear the cynical side too. I'm sorry because you know, like, and, and hopefully you can talk me out of it, talk me down from this. What I've seen is actually the opposite happen. I've seen uh, these institutions like the CDC and the NIH uh, essentially double down on what I view as just catastrophic errors they made in recent months. Yeah. Um, they're rather than uh, address the possibility that they might have gotten things wrong, they they have instead uh, maintained the fiction that everything that, that everything that went right and the only problem was misinformation that spoiled them from from the the good outcomes that we sh- we should have gotten. I've testified in Congress a couple of times, and I, I'm sorry to say it's real. It was the Democratic congressmen and or congresswomen that went after me, attacking me on uh, with that line. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. if that line wins the day, you're never going to regain public trust with half the American public. No, and just... and and Jay, I I absolutely think you're right because I, I mean, uh, one of the other, you know, I've I've obviously had you know other conversations with other high profile people, both on and off, uh, on and off uh, recorded uh, you know conversations from my podcast, and and one of the biggest things is whether it's you testifying before Congress. And and being grilled and and hammered uh, for for what you have to say, or whether it be a Dr. Francis Collins that goes before Congress and he's grilled and hammered by by Republicans uh, for what they have to say. I, I'm sorry to say that that the uh, the the people that we have in, in some of these political positions, they are they are, in my opinion, I don't care whether it's right, left, or or somewhere in between. They're going for the red meat. They're going for the pound of flesh, and that's that's one of the strategies that that really bothers me uh, in in this. And that's kind of why I do what I do. Is I don't believe for a second that that pound of flesh strategy is going to work here. 
I agree with you. And and the first time that you and I had a conversation when we when we initially talked about the Norfolk Group document and and the you know the the M and M conference that that you're you're uh, you know you're you're hoping that will happen and 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 I hope and pray that we can make something like that happen um, because I, I I downloaded the document I've read the document you know and and guys like me can read this document because it's not it's not it's not incredibly complicated to to read and and you've done an amazing job you and your colleagues have done an amazing job putting together the links to the evidence that you you talk about in the in the in the studies and stuff like that but the reality is this and this is for all the people out that are listening you know i can read those studies and i can look at them and i can come to my own conclusion based on what i read but it really doesn't matter what conclusion I come to. What matters and what's going to matter and what's going to move the needle, what's going to make the difference for the people of this country is getting together people like, whether it be you two or people like you two, you know, Dr. Francis Collins, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, in a in a M&M conference and discussing how can we both read these same studies and come to different conclusions but then as scientists as good faith people in that profession come to a some kind of a conclusion and say we could have done this better we do that in business all the time i mean i'm a business guy most of my most of my business has been in transportation but you know when i'm looking at something when i look at a situation because i have to evaluate situations that went wrong every single day you know, when I look at it, I'm looking for the root cause problem of it and how I can make sure that root cause doesn't happen again. That is my sole objective, because in business, we have no choice because most of us who are in business are in business for profit. We have to figure out what that root cause is and find out how to make sure it doesn't happen again, because there are people that depend on us for the dollars at the end of the day to keep the lights on, keep the wheels rolling, keep things going the way that they need to go. So when it comes down to it, we need the professionals. We need people, the professors, the epidemiologists, the, the best and the brightest minds in the field of health, not necessarily just public health, but all health, all science to come together and say, this is where we agree. This is where we don't. Is there any point of common ground on the stuff that we don't agree on? How can we make this better? How can we move on? And then how do we rebuild that public trust in these institutions so the next time this thing doesn't happen again? I mean, I think um, that's that. Uh, it's really well said. And I think um, that that is my the, the, the version of me that believes still that we have a rational a capacity for rational discussion with each other. That is the way forward for that to happen. Mm-hmm. The cynical part, the parts that, that that I've been more recently starting to, to starting to think, is that the only real solution, because the, because the institutions that we have are not allowing that to happen, mm-hmm. are actively discouraging that from happening, um, is a political solution, yeah. right? So, nor, the, the, the political solution to this is uh, is reforms in our in our institutions so that there's checks and balances all by 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 statute. Yeah. Right. So you you couldn't have uh, a, a small number of people uh, essentially make emergency declaration decisions without checks. Uh, mm-hmm. You would have, you know, if you're going to close schools, then every week you have to issue a report of 
Here's what the data show regarding what harms are being done to kids as a consequence. Here's what the data show are being, you know, what the potential benefits are of, of continuing to close schools. Mm-hmm. And it can't just be cases arising. There has to be like how how effective would the would this be if we uh, would how many cases would there be if we didn't close the schools? And it can't just be models. There has to be real data. Like real we do data. this environmental yeah. reports, right? So whenever we build something in the United States, you have to have an issue. You have to issue an environmental impact report. Mm-hmm. Right, that's a check and balance on un, 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 unchecked growth uh, in, in in building, right? And because we value our environment. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you need to. I think I've come to the conclusion that you may need something like that for public health, right? Where yeah. public health shouldn't have a monopoly of power during emergencies like they had, um, because they're, they're I. And this is the cynical part of me. I don't think I think they prove themselves not trustworthy enough to to wield it wisely yeah. and for the public good and 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 you very well may be right and, and that very well may be uh, what what you know what kind of determination comes out of this but uh, unfortunately uh the, the whims of politicians float with public opinion in many ways and 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 we know how how that kind of thing happens and and hopefully it doesn't come to that but but ultimately what it comes down to jay and i'll, I'll go right back to what i say so many times is Nothing good is going to come out of this if we don't start having the conversations. Nothing, nothing good is going to going to come of this if 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 people's freedom of speech is in any way suppressed because we've already agreed. <laughs> we we already know, uh, not necessarily agree, but we already know that uh, the the suppression of speech just leads to more more chaos and and more uh you know goofy theories and 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 all the different things and it gives rise to to more of those people because that whether whether you're on the right or or you're on the left you have to acknowledge the fact that that there are several people out there that have taken advantage of this thing and tried to, you know, do big things in in, in certain ways, and, and and they've made money off of this with their conspiracy theories and stuff like that. We know that. We know those people are out there, um, it, and it's just an ugly business. So we need the the best and the brightest minds to sit down. We need to have these conversations. We need to work through this. But without the conversation, we will get nowhere. If we depend on the politicians in Congress to grill you or Francis Collins or Dr. Fauci or Deborah Burks or Rochelle Walensky or any, I don't care what name you want to pull out of the hat when it comes to this thing. If you expect anything positive to come from that, I think you're kidding yourself. I, I just, yeah, I, mean, that, I, I think I agree with you that it would be hard for Congress. I mean, just from my own personal experience of testimony in front of Congress, I do think there are some good people of goodwill who want that in Congress. I, I mean, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush. And sometimes uh, I probably do, but sorry. No, you don't. Actually. <laughs> that's, that's not fair. Um, and if, I, I would say I think there are people of goodwill on both sides of the aisle on this. Yeah. Um, but then there are, there are. Uh, unfortunately, I felt the brunt of it from, from the Democratic side, some, some grandstanders who want to make political hay of of saying the republicans are bad guys or something yep. and they want to use me as a as a as a as a as a piñata or something in order to make their political case mm-hmm. um, I, I mean i think uh that then that's just unfortunate it's an unfortunate reality um i, I don't um 
again, now this is the this is the, uh, the I, and I don't want to disagree with you about about the necessity of an honest conversation, or even the possibility of an honest conversation happening among among scientists and leaders and others who want who will participate. I think that is absolutely critical. And my God, if that could happen, it would be so much good for the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, <laughs> so I just I, I think and I want to support that in every way I can. I'm just I guess I'm having a dark day. And I'm thinking, looking forward, and say, can if 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 that doesn't happen, then what has to happen to 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 like so that these kinds of bad things that happen during the pandemic don't happen again? Um, a, a political movement that's focused on uh, making sure that we ha- our kids are schooling isn't threatened by public health arbitrary public health decisions. Yeah, could that be popular? Like yeah. a, a a public you know political movement that embraces um, free speech. As, as a core value. Couldn't that be popular? Once upon a time, I thought every political movie in the United States embraced that. Um, and I think, I think the, the issue is like, I, I, okay, now I'm, now let me just say I'm being biased because of how, what the thing is I face, but like, like the, 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 the Biden administration during the pandemic directly worked to censor me. Mm-hmm. They try to, to reduce the scope of, of the set of people that, that would hear me or my ideas. Mm-hmm. I think that violated the First Amendment. I, I think it was very bad for public health, also. Absolutely. And, and there's still so I'm I'm work I'm on I'm a litigant uh, I'm a plaintiff on a case uh, brought by the Missouri and Louisiana Attorney General's Office against the Biden administration. It was tough to agree to to be on this case because I don't by nature I'm not litigious. I I don't I'm not my goal isn't to like you know, win in court. My goal is to like find scientific facts that people that hopefully I learn stuff about and other people can learn from from. That's that, that's my that's my goal in my career. Right. Um, so uh so it was tough to join this case, but I I felt like I had no choice, right? Because if you have uh a, a, a political body violating basic First Amendment rights, basic free speech rights in ways that suppress scientific discussion. That that put their in order to get their way, so that so they don't get criticism, so that they suppress the reach of criticism from the outside of mis, in my view, of misinformation put out by the government. Well, then I think they're behaving very, very irresponsibly. Mm-hmm. That's why I, that's why I agree to a legal thing, which I think ought to be, frankly, ought to be a scientific thing. But like, you can, if you don't have free speech, you can't have the scientific discussion openly and honestly that you ought to have, right? The premise of it is undermined, and so I, I mean, maybe, maybe, the, maybe the political political angle is the only way out. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I hope that that's wrong. Um, well, I'm but, hoping I'm hoping we can fix it in a different way. Yes, <laughs> I, I, and, and that's because the cynical side of me says politics gets nothing good done, uh, and and uh, you know, and that's that is probably the very cynical side of uh, of me, Jay. Is is that when I look at what what our government uh has done and and when when people tend to look for a political solution to to just about anything they completely and i'm not saying you completely or 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 anybody else that's looking to the government for a political solution but so much of what what i've uh, come to believe over my adult life is is that politicians generally are not looking for the root cause of a problem they're looking to mask a symptom in order to continue dealing with it for as long as humanly possible. And, and that's just, 
that's maybe the cynical side of me, but that's that's what I've come to believe uh, about political solutions. Is very seldom do they actually attack the root cause of a problem. They they I've got to say, Adam, I, I've never they play I, with I, the I, symptoms like a cat plays with a ball of yarn. You know, I'd say like I, I I've now I had many conversations with you, and to, to think that you have even a cynical bone in your body, I don't I don't believe it. Not for a <laughs> second. <laughs> well, well, I tell you I, what, I, we're we're gonna do this thing together, man. We are going to. Uh, one way or another, this is this has become one of my life's major goals is to to help find a solution to this problem because you know what I'm an old dude now and I got a very young daughter and a a, a young son and they're going to be around long after I am and and I want to make sure that uh you know if this happens again you know twenty thirty years from now um when uh maybe i'll be somewhere but i'll be you know that probably won't be talking a whole lot at that point but but no and i make a joke there but no the reality is this is uh you know i I believe in this country i believe in the idea of this country i believe in the people of this country and i believe that it's we the people that, that actually gets uh things done in this country and despite what games they want to play in the beltway bubble of washington dc and uh, you know, but but there is the fact that that we need to have uh, the the big players get involved, and and I I just I've made it one of my life's missions to help depolarize uh, and, and and the people of this nation, help to mend the chasms, you know, mend the fabric that's been torn so terribly in this country um, through uh, through no single individual's fault, but there's plenty of them. Um, and then, and then this thing that happened, you know, obviously, this thing that happened to our our world, our planet, you know, the 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 um, the pandemic itself, and then the government's response to the pandemic, the world's response to this pandemic. We all know that uh, no specific response would have been perfect, but there are definitely many, many things that could have done been done better, and. Uh, I think that as long as we're willing to have the conversation, as long as we're willing to work together in a non go in with any preconceived notions of, uh, yeah. of, of, of what somebody's intentions were and whatever, just go in, have a truly curious conversation, ask the questions, don't attack the person, attack the idea, and, and we will win this thing. We will make it through this thing. We will fix this thing. But if we don't have the conversation, if we aren't free to speak and free to share our ideas in an open and honest way, we can't do it. Yeah, I mean, that's it's uh, it's actually the same thing we we're talking about earlier, Adam. Humility. I mean, I think that like that and a desire to learn from each other. Mm-hmm. I agree with you about that. That's really it's it's ultimately going to come to that. Um what it takes to get there from here i'm happy to help in any way i can i just don't i just uh like i I, the but the best thing i know how to do is to is to like start to raise the agenda for what the what that conversation should look like what questions should that should get asked uh develop you know develop what and marshal the evidence i have from my point of view but be open to hearing from others about their point of view yeah well we've got the norfolk group document uh there'll obviously be links to that in the show notes uh, anybody who wasn't familiar with the Great Barrington Declaration before now, check that out. That'll be in the show notes. Um, check out Dr. J. Bhattacharya on Twitter. 
he, he's always got more than plenty of interesting things to say on there. And then obviously keep on following the D-Rate Date podcast for more of my conversations with Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, Dr. Francis Collins, uh, other, you know, other health professionals that, that we can get involved in this. But more than anything, people just go into this with an open mind. Keep your ears open, listen, and imagine how great things would be if we could all just talk through this and not be stuck in our own bubble, stuck in our own tribe, stuck in our own mindset so hard that we're not willing to listen. Because we have all got our blind spots, as as David Blankenhorn from Braver Angel says, we've all got our blind spots, but there is not one of us that is not worth listening to or not worth talking to. So, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, my friend, thank you so much for joining me on the Dear 8th Day podcast. Looking forward to many more conversations, my friend. That was fantastic. I'm so great to talk. Friends, if there's anything in this episode that provided exceptional value to you, please make sure to hit that share button. Share it with your friends, share it far and wide. And of course, if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe right from our website so you can get the D-Rate the Hate podcast sent to your email inbox every week. So this is Wilk wrapping up for the week saying get out there, be kind to one another, be grateful for everything that you've got, and remember it's up to you to make each and every day the day that you want it to be. If there is something that you would like to share with me, you can catch me on most social media platforms, or you can email me directly, wilk at wilksworld.com. With that, my friends, I am going to back on out of here, and we will catch you next week. Take care.